Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Swing and a drive, right field and deep. Back goes Aquino, it's got a chance, gone. Get out the tape measure, long gone. Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two, episode 73. Cubs crush Colorado, Crowley. Don't forget to listen, download, review. Most importantly, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on the socials. Fly the W670 on Twitter, Instagram, and Fly the W on Facebook. Or email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. All right, Crowley, the regular season portion of the Wrigley Field Cubs is in the books, and they did their job very well sweeping the Rockies Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah, I was at the last home game yesterday on Sunday, and uh, it's always a tradition for me to always go to the first home game and the last home game. And and, and it's, it's, it's always one of those weird things because we don't know what's going to happen, you know, if there's going to be any more games at Wrigley or if there's going to be a deep run in October. But it's kind of the chance to say thank you and goodbye to a lot of people that you don't see again until April. It's like a family, you know, and so it's kind of a – it's it's kind of like a high school graduation kind of feeling when you when you go to that last game of the season. Very cool. Now you look like you were having fun. I saw a couple pictures on social media. So good time had by all, I guess. Oh yeah, good good time definitely had by all. But uh, this morning you pay for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you pay for it indeed. All right, Crowley, let's rewind. Friday was the game that you and I were most nervous about because Jamison Tyone was on the hill. Yeah, Jamison Tyone versus Noah Davis. They needed a good start from Tyone. Exactly what they got. Uh, it wasn't great. There's a lot of traffic on the base pass, but the Rockies couldn't get the big hit. It's good to see another team struggle with that. Um, the Rockies had two on in the first, two on in the third, two on in the fourth, one in the fifth, and one in the sixth. He only had one inning where there were no base runners, but he managed to pitch six innings and shut out ball. He struck out seven. He gave up four hits, but also four walks. Uh, luckily, none of those came back to haunt him. But the most important thing is he didn't give up a home run, Dustin, and that's always no kind home of runs. Yeah, yeah, a walk and a home run, right? Doubly, doubly bad, but not no no home runs. Mm-mm. Right, and Drew Smiley came out of the pens. He went two innings, gave up no runs on one hit, two walks, and two Ks, and then they gave Hayden Wesnisky a little mop up duty. He didn't give up a run. He walked um, one and gave up one hit. But the Rockies' offense was 0 for seven with runners in scoring position, Dustin, and they left ten men on base. And we've talked about that recipe. Yeah, that's uh, no Gouda, but uh, in this case, it worked out. Yeah, the Cubs' offense looked good in the Pittsburgh series, and when you see that the Cubs put on six runs, you think the offense was continuing to look good. 
To be honest, though, Dustin, I, I wasn't happy with the way the offense performed against a bad pitcher in Noah Davis. Do- no. Talkman let off the first with a walk. Nico grounded out, and Talkman advanced to second. Ian Happ would walk, and then Cody Bellinger was hit by the uh, pitch. Bases loaded, one out. Dansby Swanson pops out to second. I'm like, oh, you can't do that. you got to be kidding me. But luckily, with two outs, Seiya Suzuki, Cubs' hottest hitter, single to left. Talkman scored, but bad send by Willie Harris. Nolan Jones guns down Ian Happ at home. It wasn't even close. Dustin, we saw Nolan Jones in Colorado you know, just a little over a week ago. I don't know what they were thinking. That guy's got an arm. But bases loaded, one out, hard of the order, and they only scored one run. That's disappointing. It was disappointing. I think that's one of the things that uh, all Cub fans are a little worried about as we go into the final week of the regular season. Right. In the bottom of the fourth, Dansby would draw a leadoff walk. Say Suzuki hit a two-run homer. Cubs are up 3 nothing. Say would then hit a one-out single in the sixth, and Jared Young, who was called up when Nick Magical went to the IL, he hit a home run. The Cubs were up 5 nothing. They scored one more in the seventh. Mike Talkman was hit by a pitch, and PCA came on to pinch run. Reliever Brent Suter made a pickoff throw to first. He had PCA leading, but PCA took off on first movement. He stole second for what would be the first of what should be many stolen bases. Uh, Half grounded out. Bellinger would walk, and Dansby would hit a two-out single, and the Cubs were up 6 nothing. Nico was 0 for 4, though. Hap 0 for 3 with a walk. Amaya 0 for 4. But luckily, Saya had the big day going 3 for 4 with three RBIs. And Jared Young was 1 for 3 with a two-run blast. Dustin, Saya became the third Japanese-born player to record a season of at least two, 20 home runs and 70 RBIs. Hideki Matsui and Shohei Otani are the other two. So yeah, pretty, pretty cool good, there. yeah, pretty good company to uh, to have indeed. And the Jared Young home run, boy, did he make uh, David Ross look smart. So I was like, why in the world is Jared <laughs> Young in this game in that lineup? I was playing a little lineup Easter Friday afternoon before first pitch. Yeah, you know, Jared Young's a guy that that you know when he uh, uh, very similar to Morel, young guy. He's gonna <laughs> struggle at the plate sometimes, but both those guys when they hit it, ball goes a long way. So. You know, just one of those things that Jared Young is, is kind of because of the injury to Magical, he's he's in a spot and see what he can do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Also, at the end of that game, during the press conference, David Ross kind of drops a little bombshell in the media room, kind of gets up and he says, oh, by the way, Marcus Stroman starting Saturday afternoon. Yeah, isn't it fun, Dustin, when we do these podcasts, we write a script, we got all the probables, and then this time of year they change everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. It just looks like we don't know what we're doing, Crowley. <laughs> so the way it was lined up, and this was from the Cubs, it was uh, it was supposed to be Tyone, it was supposed to be um, Wicks, Wicks and then Saturday. it was supposed to be Assad on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then they decided Stroman's going to get the start. That was his first start since July 31st. Things started out well as Stro pitched a nice, efficient 1-2-3 inning. He was given a one nothing lead when Nico single and Ian Happ doubled. Uh, to score that run, but Stroman ran into trouble in the second. Your buddy Chris Bryant got the standing ovation. Uh, Dustin, I was thinking about you. Yeah. Standing over KB. Uh, he led off with a double, advanced to third on a ground out, and scored on Elias Diaz single to tie the game. The next batter, Ezekiel Tovar, singled, and now there's runners at the corners with only one out. Stroman would throw a wild pitch, scoring Diaz and moving Tovar to second. He got the next batter, Hunter Goodman, to fly out, but with two outs. Brenton Doyle, who's a phenomenal fielder, but not much of a bad guy. That guy hits well against the Cubs for some reason. He doubles, and the Rockies were up 3-1. to one. 
Stroman would give up a double and a walk in the third, but the Rockies stranded runners and Stroman's day was done. So if you look at the line, Stroman went three innings pitch, gave up five hits, three runs, one walk, and two Ks. Um, it was okay for his first start in a couple. I of guess months. it was it was all right, but I, I liked it better personally. I liked what I saw out of him better coming in late in the game. Well, that's the thing. Manager David Ross has Javier Assad piggyback. And and he was absolutely dominant. He went four innings, Dustin, giving up only two hits, no runs, no walks, and struck out six Rockies. And, Dustin, I think when it comes to Stroman, I mean, this is a guy that's been in the league since 2014. He's not a reliever. It's not like, you know, the role that he's most comfortable in, whether he comes in as an opener or rather the back end of the, you know, I just think that it, it, it's something that works. And so when you use him in that piggyback situation like they did, I think it worked out because Assad is used to coming in from the bullpen. It doesn't really affect his mindset right. at all that much. Right. And so and I guess want, I get I would bet that's what's going to go on with the next time they come through the the, the rotation again. I bet we're going to have the same exact thing. Right. You're looking to try to get five five innings out of Stroman. And if you think about it, when you get into postseason baseball, unless you are a superstar ace, most of the time these guys don't go three times around the order. You know what I mean? It's a different a different animal in the playoffs. Usually they go five innings, two times around the order, and then you get your stud relievers in. We'll see what the you know if the Cubs get to the playoffs, what the formula is. But I thought that went well with Assad, and and with him dealing, the Cubs were able to slowly claw their way back. Miles Master Buani, big day. He singled the lead off the inning, advanced to second on a wild pitch by Flexen, made it to third on a Mike Talkman line out to right, and scored on a Nico sack fly to make it 3-2 in the sixth inning. Seiya Suzuki led off with a single the next inning, and then Dansby was called out on strikes. Christopher Morell grounds out, moving Seiya to second. And Mr. Clutch, Jan Gomes, doubled to tie the ball game. In the seventh, Rocky reliever Nick Mears walked the bases loaded. He was pulled by Bud Black. Cody Bellinger hit a sack fly to put the Cubs ahead four to three, but with runners at second and third and only one out, the Cubs couldn't add any additional runs. So that's the second day in a row, Dustin. Bases loaded, one or less outs, and you only score one run. That's not good. No, and that's what, you know, before you and I started, these are some of the things that we worry about as we come down that home stretch is the lack of clutch inning. Jan Gomes can't bet every time there's people on base. Right, and and it looked like it would haunt him in the eighth inning when Julian Merriweather comes into the game I'm and he best. does his his best Mitch Williams impersonation. He gave up a double and two walks to load the bases, but struck out three batters to leave him stranded. Nearly gave me a damn heart attack. Yeah, I was following on my phone at that point. For some reason, the app was not working properly, saying I was in an area that I couldn't listen and I was on the go. So I'm watching it on my phone, like, you know, trying to – follow along, you know, and I'm like, what is going? I was so weird, but uh, thankfully he got out of it. That was a good, uh, that was a good comparison to Mitch Williams. Yeah. Mitch Williams. Yeah. Chris Morrell would Homer uh, to make it five to three. And Nico would add one more insurance run with an RBI single. The Cubs would win this one, six for three. The offense scored six runs on nine hits, but the Cubs two went for two 12. For 12 <laughs> with runners in scoring position and left nine on base. Now that will not get it done. That is a number that must, must improve if there is any hope for October and beyond that. So that takes us to Sunday, Crowley. We were talking about it to start the podcast. The uh, season finale, regular season anyway, at home, Jordan Wicks throwing. Yeah, tip of the hat to the Cubs organization. A few years back, they screwed up. They stopped the tradition where they had some country singer do the seventh inning stretch on the last day of the season. And I, I, I wrote a strongly worded letter. Let's put it that way. 
but the grounds crew got to sing the seventh inning strike. It's one of my favorite uh, traditions. And so the grounds crew does such an awesome job keeping Wrigley looking beautiful and uh, love to see those guys get their moment in the sun. I always think it's good vibes. Yeah, that so, was cool. I enjoyed seeing that. Yep. Cubs going for the sweep. Um, Jordan Wicks had that, you know, push back to Sunday. So that's not going to hurt to give him an extra day of rest, you know. Um, and, and the Cubs get on the board in the bottom of the second. Say Suzuki draws a walk and would score on a Jan Gomes double. Cubs are out one nothing. Unfortunately, the Rockies came right back in the top of the third. Austin wins let off with a double, and Bretton Davis bunted him to third for the first out of the innings. Wicks got Ezekiel Tovar to strike out swinging, but Brendan Rodgers, Dustin, he was on our hot list last time. He yep. hit a two-run homer that landed in the first rows of the left field, left center bleachers. The wind was really blowing from right to left. I was hoping that ball would get knocked down. It wasn't for sure going out, but – you know, if, if that if the wind wasn't blowing in, Rogers definitely got all of that one. Were you sitting in the bleachers on Sunday, Crowley? No, I was in my seats. I always all start right. and finish in my seats always. All but right. um, you know, again, talking about the Cubs offense, they had runners on in the first, the third, uh, the first, they had one a run on in the first, three on in the second, and two on in the third, one in the fourth, and one on in the fifth, but were only able to score in the second inning on that Gomes double. I was really pissed off, Dustin, in the fifth when Nico Horner to lead off the inning gets hit by a pitch. And Ian Happ, your number three hitter, for some unknown reason, bunts the ball, goes straight to the pitcher who catches it. Nico's already moving, and he gets thrown out on a double play. I was so mad. Well, I mean, let's you you and I texted during this moment, and we will try to get this question asked of Ian Happ on the Bernstein and Holmes show tomorrow. But the question, I'm sure that Ian didn't think that was a good idea. So that means Ross called for it. We can argue about that if you want. I'm kind of with you, but it was a poorly executed bunt. But but again, this is Ian Happ is not a guy that's a bunter. That it's, it's he's a baseball player, Crowley. He's got to be able to bunt. What if he? What if it's? What if it's the playoffs and you need him to bunt? Every you got to be able to get a bunt down. Okay. Every guy has you're their professional base. You're a professional baseball player. Get a bunt every, down. Every every guy has their weaknesses, and and again, against a pitcher like Ty Block, you're going to sit there and have your number three hitter bunt. I mean, are you kidding me? Well, it's definitely something that needs to be talked about. I, I'm not sure if tomorrow is also a David Ross Tuesday. They have him every other week, and I don't remember if they had him on last week or if it's this week. So if it's this week, maybe we'll get that answer as well. Well, to make matters worse, in the top of the six after that dumb bunt, uh, Nolan Jones ah, yeah. also <laughs> also <laughs> Nolan Jones was on our hot list. That kid looked so good. He had a home run in almost the same place Rodgers did. So now the Cubs are down 3-1. to one. So – with the Rockies up three to one and Ty Black pitching well, manager Bud Black had to make a decision either to keep rolling with Block or turn it over to Colorado's bullpen, which hurt him the first two games. Mm -hmm. He decides to keep Block in, but you know what? Six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. This Rockies team is just bad. Saya led off the inning with a double against Block and Dansby single to put runners at the corners with no outs. Jan Gomes would hit a sack fly to make it a three two ball game. And then Patrick Wisdom, the forgotten man in perhaps his last regular season at bat at Wrigley Field, absolutely annihilated one. The perfect type of home run in these games when the wind's blowing in. Perfect launch angle, 24 degrees. The ball went 432 feet, had an exit velo of 111 miles per hour, and the Cubs retook the lead 4-3. Was really Wrigley great just rocking or what? Absolutely. And, and for a guy like me who's gotten to meet Patrick and interview him, and he's one of the greatest guys you know, it, it was such a cool moment. And so now the Cubs have the lead. It, it, it's time for the Cubs shaky bullpen to see if they can hold on to it. <laughs> Daniel Palencia was first off. He has a nice one, two, three inning. 
Jose Quas took the eighth. He gave a leadoff single to Brenton Doyle, but was wiped out when he was caught stealing. Beautiful throw by Gomes and a nice tag by Nico. Quas would not allow any more base runners. That takes us to the ninth inning, Dustin. Julian Merriweather on the mound. Another uh, Mitch Williams impersonation here. He's got a one-run lead. He walks the first two batters he faces. Tying run on first, go ahead, run. Or tying run at second, go ahead, run at first. Oh, my God. You can't do that. Now, Merriweather gets Eluris Montero to line out and Charlie Blackman to fly out. So now you got two outs. Ryan McMahon comes in to pinch hit. He grounds one to first. Bellinger steps on the bag. The Cubs come to the mound to celebrate. Go Cubs starts playing. Clark is running out with a giant W flag. But wait, the umpires meet. They say the ball is foul. The music stops. Clark goes back into his cave. Ryan McMahon's back in the box, and we're stunned, Dustin. I'm freaking out, imagining, okay, the Cubs thought they had the win. You know what I mean? And, like, I wonder, right. like, if Merriweather just kind of relaxes. Too, right? and oh. yeah. mm-hmm. Changes but the mindset, right? You take everything. the foot off the gas a little bit. Yeah, yeah, maybe, like, the adrenaline kind of stops. I don't know. But he gets McMahon to strike out, and the Cub fans get to celebrate for a second time. Four to three was the final, but again, the offense scored four runs on five hits. They drew five walks, one for seven with the runners in scoring position. They left nine men on base. Uh, Morrell was 0 for 4, Horner 0 for 3, Bellinger 0 for 3, Saya 2 for 3 with a walk and two runs. Jan Gomes 1 for 2 with two RBIs. I'm guessing Saya Suzuki and Jan Gomes are going to be on the hot list. There are the, <laughs> you got a good guess there. And Patrick Wisdom was 1 for 2 with a walk and that big home run. Look, Dustin, we talked about it before the show even started here. We said, look, you, you took care of business. You, you swept, right? And that's what you have to do in these tight wild card races. We have a totally different show if they go one and one and two in this one, right? Absolutely. Um, totally. But, they, but Dustin, you know, looking into it, you have to get this offense back on track. This offense looks very similar to what we saw in April and May, not what we saw July through, uh, June through August, okay? The next two opponents, Atlanta and Milwaukee, this isn't the Pirates and the Rockies you're facing, right? The, the Colorado has one of the worst rotations and one of the worst bullpens, right? In and the they're terrible, game, and they're terrible on the road. Yes, and, and then in the first game against the Rockies, the Cubs only scored three runs in five innings against Noah Davis, a guy that had an ERA over nine entering the game. In the second game, Chris Flexen, ERA near eight. The Cubs score only two runs in five innings, going two for 12 with runners in scoring position. The Cubs scored four runs against Ty Block, but if he would have been pulled in the fifth, he would have had a good game against the Cubs. He would have only given up one run. Right. And so, you know, that is a concern. And, and, and then the bullpens. I, I, I'm terrified no matter who David Ross calls out of the pen right now. Dustin, which reliever would you say right now you have the most confidence in if that phone's ringing? Ooh, that is a tricky question because <laughs> it, it, it's not Palencia. It's not Merriweather. It's not Quas. I, I mean, right now, maybe lighter junior, maybe. Um, do I get to, do I get to count Javier Assad <laughs> as a reliever right now? I, I would count? say we're talking one run. I, I just, I don't know. I, and that, and again, you are going to be the next team you're facing when we talk about hot and not for Atlanta that's you, you can't make mistakes. You go ahead and try walking the first two runners in the ninth and see how that goes against Colorado, against Atlanta. Good luck. Who's your guy? Who's your, who's your, I don't have okay one, guy. I'm terrified. Well, we, I, and I know we're going to get to it later on, but let's just get to it right now. Brad, Brad Boxberger's gone again. 
Yep. Right? Yeah, so that's another option. So well, I'm saying he's not an option because he's gone right. again. He's back that on was the another I- option. I-O. Right. So um yeah, it's uh it's slim pickings right this second. There is no doubt about that. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two. It's episode 73. Cubs crush Colorado. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. In this segment, Crawley interviews legendary actor, Chicago native, lifelong Cubs fan, Joe Montaigne, and host of the Hollywood and Ivy show on Marquee, Brigham Avery, about Joe's Cubs fandom and why he and Brigham decided to celebrate the Hollywood and Ivy show. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I'm pleased to welcome the executive producer of the Hollywood and Ivy show. You've seen him on, you know, all sorts of TV shows, movie shows, huge Cub fan, Joe Montaigne, and we have the host of Hollywood and Ivy, Briggs Avery. How are you doing, guys? Excellent. Outstanding. Outstanding, Crowley. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Absolutely. Joe, you know, everybody knows you are one of the biggest Cub fans around and you've always kind of since since your early days in acting here in Chicago, kind of put your Cubs passion kind of matching with the with your your, you know, your acting when you did the bleacher bums in was it 1977? Correct. What gave you the idea to, to come up with a play about fans of the bleachers? Well, you know, I've been prof- acting professionally since 69 at that point. And in fact, in 69, when I was doing the play Hair at the Schubert Theater downtown Chicago, in the second act, I wore a tie-dyed Ernie Banks T-shirt because the hair was that kind of a show that you could kind of freeform it. And I wore this tie-dyed Ernie Banks T-shirt. And I remember when Ernie Banks came to see a performance of it. And, I, and they, they let me know that, the press people let me know at intermission that he was in the audience. At the curtain call, I walked to the front of the stage and said, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to, just before we do the curtain call, I just want to say we have a celebrity in the audience, Mr. Ernie Banks. Like, I remember this was 69, the Cubs were in first place. It was the year of, you know, of they almost got there, you know, before the Miracle Mets. So anyway, he stood up and it was just, and then he invited me to the ballpark the next day. So, I mean, so my, my relationship in terms of show business and the Cubs were, was already well cemented at that point. But in 77, when I was with the Organic Theater Company out of Chicago, we were getting to near the end of our season. We had no money left for another season. We were going to have to take the summer off and wait for our grant money to come in to start the, in the fall again. And they said, and I remember Stuart Gordon, our, our producing director, said, has anybody got an idea for a show that will cost us nothing? And basically, I put my hand up and I said, I've got an idea. I sit up in the bleachers, you know, whenever I can. And I sit amongst this group of guys. And I said, there's as much theater going on up in those bleachers as what's happening on the ball field. And, and as much theater as any playwright has ever written. I said, I think if you all come with me and sit with me in, in that section of the bleachers, you'll agree that there's a play there. And my impetus was, if we can get one-tenth one hundredth of an audience to see a play as the Chicago Cubs get to come see a team that at that point was, you know, hadn't won a, 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 a championship in almost a century, then I'm on to something. So in other words, so I took the, the whole cast down and the whole company of actors. We, we, we went to three straight games, I think, just to kind of absorb it all. And they all agreed, said, yeah, this is theater. This is, there's a story here. The, 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 the crux of it being... What causes fans to embrace a team that at the best is mediocre, but yet have this incredible passion, people from all walks of life, financial, racial, nationality, doesn't matter, you know, and that, and that was the, the, the crux of the play. And that's why I had the idea. I thought if I can just tap into that 
what what's fandom about? And, and the Cubs being the perfect example of, if you're, you know, it's it's hard to be a Cub fan. Easy to be a Yankee fan back in those days, you know. But uh, so what makes a what makes a, a fan uh, a fan? So that's what that's about. And what made you a Cubs fan? How did you end up in this uh, crazy group of people? <laughs> that that's the curse my father put on me. I guess you'd have to say. You know what I mean? I'd always said, you know, I said it would've been a lot easier if my dad made it been a Sox fan back then. At least they they had a little gave us a little satisfaction in the fifties, you know. But no, it's one of those things. I think my grandfather started it with, and then gave it on to my dad, and my dad gave it on to me. So I can't really, I can't point to that moment where it happened. All I know is we always went to Wrigley Field. I never went to Comiskey Park. Maybe it was just that it was closer. We lived on the west side. I could have gone either way because being on the west side, you know, it could have gone either way. And my next door neighbor, my best friend, Ernie Majeras, was a Sox fan. So, I mean, it, it, it was the luck of the draw as to what what caused my dad. I, you know, I never got to really question him about that. As But that's that was my – but I, I'm so glad he did. I mean, because like I said, I think being a Cubs fan, it, 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 it builds character. I would like to think it, it builds character in, in any any individual that, that's taken upon themselves to follow a team like that. Absolutely. And, you know, when you kind of look at that, you have been to so many games. Tom Dreesen was just out here singing the stretch. Right. Now, oh, yeah. I know you and him are in a competition to see who right. has thrown out the most first pitches. Yeah, Is Ed think... Hardig on that? Do you know? I don't know. I know Tom's probably up on me, though. In fact, he, he, he texted me the photo that, that day a few days ago. And I last did it just over Memorial Day weekend when I was there. Uh, I, there may be others, actually, that have, that have done it even more than Tom. And I, I don't know, but that's a little competition he and I have. But he was a, he was a, a bat boy for a minute. So, I mean, he, you know, he's, he, he's kind of up on me in that department. But yet, you know, I conceive the play that, you know, that, that, that's still being done all over the world at different times. So I'd like to think I, I did my bit of kind of spreading Cub lore, regardless of who thrown out the first pitch. Now, you do have bragging rights because you went to one of the greatest games of all time which was well not just there i threw out that first pitch and i'm going to spin the camera i'll you yeah, can see those baseballs it. see those baseballs up there yes sir okay one of those baseballs is signed by carrie wood and dated and that's the baseball that i threw out the first pitch in the game that he struck out 20 players so that was the luck of the draw i mean i happened to be in, ironically i happened to be in chicago at that time to record the radio version of bleacher bums we've been asked i think it was by pbs or whoever it was to do to bring in the original cast and make the radio version of it uh and because then we wound up filming it as well for wttw uh and so when I happened to be in town, the, the Cubs contacted me, says, hey, you know, we, we heard you're in town. You want to throw out the first pitch this week? I said, yeah, Thursday I'm free, you know. And it was like a gloomy kind of semi-rainy day against Houston. I figured, well, it'll be fun. Invite the cast, invite my brother, have a few laughs, see the Cubs. Little did we know it would be one of the most, you know, history-making days in baseball ever, especially for Cub fans. So uh, I feel very blessed that I was able to – you know, not only throw out that first pitch, I called the seventh and eighth inning up in the booth with Santo, and and uh, and I have that ball. That's that's the first. That's 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 a that's a that's a Hall of Fame ball. You know, that could be, but it, it's staying here. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Except, were, you, were you nervous at all going into the eighth or ninth? I can't imagine what the vibe was like. Well, you know, you could you could find it online. I'm sure that the, the play by play because they sent they sent CDs out of that entire game the following season to all the season ticket holders. And you hear me calling the radio, you know, up in the up in the booth. I, I stayed, I think, through the eighth inning. And so you hear me going, oh, no, he's got 18. Oh, oh, no, he's got 19. You know what I mean? It was like we were all hyped up. You know, all of us were just totally jacked up, not, you know, not even sure what was going to happen. And uh, it's probably best that it was a surprise, best that it was unexpected. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I made it all the more special. I knew you were coming on, so I grabbed this out of my memorabilia collection. This is actually one of the K's from that day. It oh, was excellent. Yeah. It was actually my PE teacher, my middle school PE teacher that was the one that made these. He made 16 of them because he didn't anticipate 20. And right. um, his family was nice enough to, uh, I, I made a donation and they were not kind enough to give me one of the, uh, one of the 16. So I had to show you that because I knew there was only one person that could appreciate it. Oh, like absolutely. Absolutely. And there's two people that can appreciate that, actually. That, that's amazing. I, I love that. And um, gentlemen, I, I want to say, first of all, don't you think that is the most dominant pitching performance of all time. I know you're asking the questions here, buddy, but uh, Jason, Joe, that was his fifth ever start. I'm talking about. Kerry oh yeah. Clark. And you know, and not just that. I, I Roger, Roger Clemens struck out 20 of you guys in his third full year in baseball. It was against the Seattle Mariners who are not murderers row. Yeah. And he probably he was juice running that game. And Kerry <laughs> Wood did that against the Houston Astros who had two future hall of famers. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, sometimes that weather Joe and, and, Jason, it can be very difficult to to pitch in that overcast. Of course, I of course. See those K's with all the rain. Drenched. But also, also, I remember distinctly that sometime it must have been around the fifth, sixth inning. I don't, I remember. But there was a there was an incident that I looked back on it and I went, it was kind of there was like a drop third strike. In other words, there was an incident where he kind of yeah. grazed grazed the ball and it just kind of tipped out of the catcher's mitt and didn't even think twice about it at the time. But I thought to myself, wow, it was just that one millisecond, you know, that kept it from being the 21st strikeout. You know, so. and, and it could have been it could have been a no hitter too. that could have been. There was a ball hit by Ricky Gutierrez that went off the glove of Kevin Ory, who was the third baseman. That could have easily if it was a hometown enough scoring that could have easily yeah. been scored an error. And it would yeah. have been a no hitter, a 20 strikeout, no hitter, but a 20 strikeout, one hit performance. He did hit a batter. He walked nobody. And for that to be your fifth overall start in baseball. I don't know how that can't be the greatest pitching performance of all time. And as a matter of fact, we've got uh, something we're, we're going to announce, Joe. we got a big show coming up in a week with uh, with somebody that, that, that might have been, you know, critical that day, not just you, but, um, you know. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. Now, now, Joe, I know that you, you know, not only do you, have you appeared in a lot of Cubs documentaries, you know, everybody mm -hmm. loves talking to you about your fandom, but you've also produced some stuff. Were you one of the producers for this old Cub, Ron Santos, uh, Jeff Santos documentary on his father? Yeah, I, I, I was. I mean, uh, you know, Ron, I, I became dear friends with his, with Ron's son, Jeff, who's a wonderful writer, came to me, you know, years before that with the script uh, called A Diamond in the Rough, which was basically a play he had written that was wonderful. It was loosely based on his dad and, and Randy Hunley and Glenn Beckert, I believe, or, or, or no, it was just, um, none of the characters he based it on. It was, um, uh, well, I know his dad was certainly one of them. And I think Hunley was the other one. And then the other, or no, Beckert was the other one. And then the other one was, uh, 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 oh, what's his name? Matt Kessinger, uh, Randy Hunley. 
No, 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 Joe. Uh, the, the the guy that used to use the hair dryer in in, in the dugout, um, in, in the in the cl clubhouse, the first race. Oh, Pepitone. Pepitone. Pepitone was the, and so it was loosely based on Pepitone, Santo, and Becker, and yet of course the names were all changed, but it was a wonderful uh, play that he had written, and uh, and so I got involved with him with th with that, and we did a, a reading of it. We did a wonderful reading of it with Dennis Franz. Uh, did it with my, myself, and uh, and we wound up uh, recording it. In fact, for uh, uh, some some sort of radio theater group, um, but uh, uh, yeah, and I'm forgetting what the original question was. We were talking about uh, you were producing that. You were producing. Oh, that producing it. Yeah, yeah. So so this old cub. Yeah. So so when uh, he asked me to you know become the narrator basically of the film, and I also helped get him some of the celebrities that appears in it, like Dennis Farina, Gary uh, Gary Sinise, a few of the others. So in other words, but but uh, Jeff, you know, it, it was pretty much you know I give all the credit to Jeff. Jeff is as a, a wonderful talent. He put that all together, and I was just happy to get involved with him to help him you know, get it get get it to the next level. Absolutely. And now you're producing the show on Marquee, one of my favorites, Hollywood and Ivy. And uh, talk to me about how you and Briggs kind of came up with this idea to put this on Marquee. Well, Brig, you know, Brig is like a computer with the Cubs. So, I mean, it's, I, I tap into him like, you know, just like if I want any information on the, you know, going back to Tinkers, the Evers and before that, you know. But anyway, uh, you know, we have a history together. We used to have the restaurant Taste Chicago in Burbank years ago. Brig would come in there, do, do some live stuff, you know, from there. So, I mean, it was just a meeting of two, you know, two Cub fans. Both of us have different, you know, kind of occupations in the business. And Brig came to me with this idea, and I just thought, yeah, Hollywood and Ivy. I like I like the name of that, you know. And yeah. and uh, let's let's give it like anything else. You give it a shot, you throw it up in the air, see if it flies. You know what I mean? But I mean, what was great is as I, you know, it's pretty much my job to approach a lot of these celebrities that you see on the show. And what's what's wonderful is, and, I, and I'm not surprised that it happened. You you ask them to do anything else. You know, you might get, well, I don't know, you know, talk to my agent, or I don't know, I'm going to be here, or that. Or you'll, there'll be a whole lot of rigmarole. You start mentioning, hey, you want to come on a show and talk about your 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 your, your fandom of, of the Cubs? All of a sudden, these, these men and women turn into little kids again. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, that would be fun. You know what I mean? And, and so no matter who they are, I, I recall how when I was I used to be on the Kennedy Center Committee, and one year they honored uh, – Bruce Springsteen. I'm riding the bus from the White House to the Kennedy Center to go to the event, and I'm with Eddie Vedder. And all we talked about was the Cubs. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking, here I am sitting next to this rock and roll god, and and we're t and, he, and, he, and here I am, an actor, him the, the the rock star, and yet that one thing we shared, our, our love of the Cubs, and that was like we were both getting excited, like we were both 12 years old, you know, talking about baseball cards and stuff like that. So I mean, that that to me that's the key, and that that's to me that's the success of the of the show, and uh, you know, uh, any and it, you, you know you don't. Why wouldn't you want to watch a show like that if you're, if you're especially a Cub fan or even a baseball fan? And then that's what you're talking. So for me, that's what I love is kind of like combining my worlds. Like Eddie Vedder is one of my favorite musicians, and he loves the same baseball team I do. I love right. so so many movies that you've been in. Right. Gary Sinise has been right. in. Briggs had right. on in the last time we talked. He had Billy Corgan on. Billy Corgan, great, who was so wonderful. Uh, and runs yeah. the game. We got Bonnie Hunt. We have Mary Lou Hanner. We've got some of the women coming in now. We've got. Uh, uh, and, and, and in terms of Dick ages, like I got, 
Nick Offerman, we've got him interested. He wants to. I just I got, I've been exchanging calls with him. He'll be doing. I know Vince Vaughn wants to do it. Bill Hader wants to do it. Uh, uh, Bob Newhart wants to do it. He's just been in some you know guarded health lately. But you know he he's he he's willing. He will ready willing. You know not quite able yet, but wants to do it. But uh, uh, so anyway, like I say, when you tap into that, regardless of your age, they tap into something that goes very deep in their their senses. You know. You guys have a good crew when the Dodgers come out there. I've seen you guys out in some of those boxes before. That that has got to be a lot of fun to be a fly on the wall in that in that uh, skybox. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I never even know who's going to show up. You know, when we had the restaurant, we used to cater it. So my here, my wife would bring stuff from Tasty. We'd have the deep dish pizza, your Italian beef, you know, your combos, you know, Chicago dogs. It was as close you're going to be to Wrigley Field and still be in Los Angeles. You know. Uh, so, yeah, that was always great. You never knew who was going to be there. I remember I walked in once. Jack Black was there from the White Stripes, was up in the up in the box. Uh, you know, Jamie Vince Fox Vaughn was there. Was there. Jamie Foxx stopped by? Jamie Foxx, yes, and he yeah. stopped by. Kerry Wood yeah. was there one time. I mean, yeah. uh, you just never knew who was going to be stopping by. And it was yeah, it was always so wonderful. So, I mean, uh, I, I thank Dodger ownership uh, for, for allowing us and, 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 and for um, Cubs ownership for kind of arranging for all that to happen. Very nice. Now, Briggs, talk to me. Who is coming up next at Hollywood and Ivy? Because you guys always, like I said, you have guests that oh, yeah. I get excited. So when you tell me, Crawley, we got someone coming on, that's why I got to get you on here to kind of tell me what's happening. Yeah, so, so I wanted to add something initially just about uh, a few things Joe said beautifully, Joe. I believe that Bleacher Bums, I, I, I didn't want to lose this thought. I think Bleacher Bums was the foundation laying essence of the Bears and all the other Chicago stuff. You know, that was the first one. I think that lit the fuse for Lauren Michaels, George Wendt, and everybody over there. I also wanted to mention that when Joe and I did his show live from Taste Chicago in August of 2016, Crawley, it was August 28th, we had a show there, and Joe and I made a proclamation. Joe came on as some guy named Fat Tony from someplace named Springfield, where <laughs> some people named Homer and Marge happen to live that maybe you've heard over the past 30-plus years. But he came on as Fat Tony and made a proclamation. And we kind of take credit for everything that happened in 2016 forming that day. And in that moment when I was talking to Joe, I knew that Hollywood and Ivy could be a show because I realized the passion, the pain of Cup fans, and the ultimate reward, the beautiful reward that came in 2016. So so much shared in that. that that's the moment we knew. It. And we kind of take credit for them winning it in 2016 don't we joe a lot of ways it, it works i'd like i'd like to you know but you know we'll, i'm sure there's a lot of others out there feel the same way but we'll yeah. we'll, we'll 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 say we'll, we'll put our two cents in and say we did our little bit it was like mitchapalooza at the beginning of old school remember the first party in mitchapalooza <laughs> everyone just stuck around and hung around the frat house and that's that's right. kind of what the show has become but the show crowley we got coming up with uh joe's going to be appearing live on zoom as he is now it's a week from today in Wrigleyville. It's with Carrie Wood and Joe Girardi. So we got two integral Cubs, part linked, really linked to two great Cubs teams, the 89 Cubs, Joe Girardi's rookie year. That was a, a big part of, of his career, his first year. And then the 98 Cubs, we talked about Carrie Wood. So two playoff teams, two great players, two, you know, Joe Girardi went and won a World Series. So it's talking about the essence of being Cubs at that time and the reality of, of their the relationship with Joe. You know, Joe has a relationship with Joe Girardi as well. So we have those two guys. And then we've got, you know, nobody says no. They're all excited. It's just uh, how do we schedule everybody? How do we juggle all the, right. the, the people that want to come on? So uh, when we come back, we're, we can finalize and, and, and talk about, uh, you know, the others. But right now on the 27th, we got those two coming up, Kerry Wood and Joe Girardi, here in Wrigleyville. So one day, and, 
And Joe, tell him about the first time he met Joe Girardi. That's a hell of a story. Oh, yeah, that's a pretty kind of a – because if, if, if it was with the – was it 89? It was his first year with the Cubs? Yeah, so yeah. it would have been that season. So I was throwing out the first pitch one of those games in 89. And, of course, what they do is they often have the, you know, the, the second-string, third-string catcher catch the ball for the first pitch. So it's like they hand me the ball, and then this guy runs out to catch the ball. I know it's not the starting catcher because that guy's warming up, getting ready. So I throw the pitch. So the catcher runs up to me and goes, hey, oh, he, you know, good, well done. You want me – here, let me sign the ball for you. And I'm thinking, oh, God. This guy's going to be in Iowa next week, and he's going <laughs> to sign the ball. I was going to kind of save it, maybe get one of the guy, you know, one of the one of the regulars to sign it, you know, one of the guys that are going to run out to the mound or something. And I said, "Yeah, sure, okay, yeah, thank you." You know, he signs it, <laughs> and I stick it in my pocket, and I'm thinking maybe I'll give it to a kid on the way out or something. You know what I mean? But whatever. I I, I held on to the ball. I took it out. I put it in my case up here. I think it was later. Might have been years later. I, I'm going through my baseballs, and I realize. Oh my God, that was Girardi that signed the ball. <laughs> and I'm thinking, so it just goes to don't take for granted who's maybe catching your first pitch because that guy may wind up in the Hall of Fame someday. So, I mean, so anyway, that's, that's something I, I look forward to sharing with him uh, if he doesn't know that already, uh, that, I, that I almost did him a, 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 a bad bit, a bad thing on my part. But thank God I held on to it. And so I'm very proud of it. Now, Joe, I got to ask you, I know I appreciate you for your time. You know, you're watching the Cubs. You have this crazy wild card chase going on. How close do you get to the follow, follow the games? And, and what's, your, what's your feeling right now, the temperature on the Cubs, if they make the postseason or not? See, at my age, I've learned over the years, I, don't, I, I wait. I'll, I'll wait. What is it, September 20th? See me in about five days. And then, then I'll tell you how my feelings are. Because I've learned, you know, I learned back in 69 even. It's like, don't, don't, be, don't be getting yourself too riled up, you know, this early in the game. I mean, let's just see how it plays out. I even did that in 2016. I mean, I wasn't even right up until that, right up until, you know, Rizzo caught that ball for that final out. I still withheld a little bit of myself in check. Because I thought to myself, you know, they don't, they don't want to find you here in a puddle of, like, you know, oh yeah, he died because of what happened with the Cubs today. No, uh, so I'm going to hold that in reserve. Uh, my 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 potential excitement. We'll, we'll take it a day at a time. Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate your time, Joe and Briggs, both you guys for coming out. Thanks, Crawley. You're the man. Is right. Thank you. Thank you. I had a great time. Thanks, pal. Yeah. Bye bye. This is segment three of the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two. It's episode 73. We're calling this one the Crub Cubs Crush Colorado. Crowley, let's take a look at the standings now that uh, we're in the middle of a day off. Six regular season games left, and they're big ones. Yeah, my heart needed this day off right here. If you take a look, um, Milwaukee has all but clinched it. I was hoping they would do a uh, solid and beat Miami, but they lost that series. Um, the, Cubs, the Milwaukee's 88, 68, they're one game away from clinching it all. Uh, the Cubs are 82 and 74. They're six games back from Milwaukee, Cincinnati, 8.5 back and Pittsburgh, 14 games back and St. Louis in last place. What a shame. Um, looking at the wild card though, and this is where the action is, Dustin right now, right now, this is a little bit off because Arizona lost to the Yankees today. So yeah, good. thank goodness that happened. Finally. I mean, the, the D backs are about <laughs> to go in there and sweep them. 
Right. Philadelphia is 87 and 69. They're eight and two in their last 10. They have a five game winning streak. They are hot. So that first wild card spot looks like that's that's pretty much a done deal. But now after that, it's all up in the air and there's a lot of craziness going on. So Arizona and the Cubs are tied at 82 and 74. But again, Arizona holds the tiebreaker. Miami one game back after they did lose one against the uh, Brewers. So uh, they are still, uh, they are one game behind the Cubs, 81 and 75. Cincinnati lost a heartbreaking game where they had a nine to one lead, Dustin, against the Pirates. So the Reds are 80 and 77. They're 2.5 games back. And then San Diego, we haven't been talking about them. Probably too little too late. They're nine and one in their last 10. They're five games back and, and San Francisco is five games back. So those teams basically need to win out and have everyone else lose out. So they're pretty much done. They're pretty much done. So it looks like what? It's a three-team race, two two teams get in, basically. That's what we're thinking right now. Is that, yes, sir. You're right. Yeah. So we got – it's the Reds, the Marlinas, and the Cubs. And Arizona. It's and all Arizona. right there. So it's so, four so you, teams. So it's really four teams for – four teams, two spots. Because Philly's definitely getting in no matter what. Right. And so if it were to end today, the Phillies would take on Arizona and the Cubs would take on the Brewers in the first round. Dustin, do you like how that lines up? I, I like that better. I, I, I like that better than, than having to play the Phillies. I really do. I, I like I like the I like the drama. I like the proximity. I like the trash talk. I, I like it so much more. And I think the Cubs would have a better chance against the Brewers than they would against the Phillies. So that's what's going to be interesting about these final three games. Because at the time of this recording, the Brewers have still yet to clinch the National League Central, right? Their magic number is down to one, I believe. So any combination of Cubs losses or Brewers win, and the Brewers win for the second time in three years. But the soonest that's going to happen is Tuesday, which means which means Wednesday they'll be partying. So you'll get like an opener. And then Thursday, you might be partying still, and you might get. So who knows how they're going to handle that exactly? And, and maybe they just... want, maybe they want the Cubs. Maybe they want the Cubs. Maybe they feel, you know, puffy chested. Maybe they say, yeah, you know what? We don't want to play the Diamondbacks. We want to play the Cubs. Well, I'll tell you this, Dustin. I looked in my at bat app today, and look what I have. For those of you subscribed to the uh, six seventy the score YouTube channel, my postseason tickets are on my app. So I'm hoping to use those. That's for sure. Uh, well, it's going to take a, a win in that wild card round, right? You're going to have to get to the NLDS to use those things. Yep, absolutely. So I just got my fingers crossed right now. Um, but but speaking about playoff runs, how about the Tennessee Smokers? Yeah, your team. Yeah, one of your teams. They are one win away from their first championship since 1978 after they beat the Pensacola Wahoos 8-4 to in the first game of the Southern League Championship Series at Smoky Stadium. They had free beer night again. Brandon Birdsell, the Cubs' fifth-round draft pick in 2022, he pitched really well and, and uh, only gave up one run and had plenty of support from the offense that scored eight runs in the first three inning, it was, the game was pretty much over after the third uh, BJ Murray drove in two runs and seven out of the nine batters in the lineup had at least one RBI. The series now moves to Pensacola game two will be played on Tuesday night with Cubs number one draft pick from 2022 Cade Horton getting the ball. And if necessary game three on Wednesday night in Pensacola, I will have two TVs going so I can listen to Mick and the boys and still be paying attention to the Cubs in Hotlanta. All right, very good. 
keep us informed on how that one plays out. How about uh, the attendance, Crawley? You're part of you're part of this number. Yes, sir. The, the, the attendance went up this year. Uh, Two million seven hundred seventy-five thousand one hundred forty-nine fans passed through the gates of the friendly confines. That number's up from 2022 when the Cubs drew 2,616,780, but still not at the heydays of that 3 million number mark, which is what the Cubs want to see. Yeah, that's what they want to see. They're going to have to spend a little more, win a little more, I think, to get to that point. Uh, how about David Ross doing a little backpedaling, eating a little crow, having a uh, text uh, Derek Shelton, but uh, maybe it worked because uh, they were saying that maybe they got motivated to take out the Reds and, uh, they uh, they had some interesting happenings in their ball games. Yeah, they took one of three from from the Reds, so maybe maybe David Ross wasn't all that wrong. Um, remember that after the game, Ross said this: "They're not a good team that just took two or three of us. Not our caliber team, I believe, and we got to turn it around." Well, Derek Shelton's not happy. The next day, he says it's unfortunate that he chose to make the, uh, them about our team instead of his team about the comments and Brian Reynolds says we could use it for motivation. If we're such a bad team, maybe he should have managed his team a little better and beat us. Ooh, boy. Uh, Ross, like you said, texted Shelton and apologized. He, you know, he kind of said a whole bunch of mumbly excuses as everything. And, you know, he's, he said, you're not always perfect in the post games and things come out wrong, whatever. But he was, he was right. It was just a moment of truth. You know what I mean? That, he let it slip what was really on his mind. He just didn't say the way you're supposed to yeah, say Yeah, and it. even when he said it initially, he tried to walk it back. He knew immediately that he went a little too far. Right. It was, that was his temper that came through on that one. Yep. So a uh, little – some scary news here. Peter Gammons is reporting there are talks at Craig Breslow, the Cubs' vice president of pitching, uh, could be moving to the Red Sox as Boston uh, begins their restructuring. Bre- uh, Breslow makes his home out in uh, – and in the Boston area, his wife and kids are out there. It would be a lateral move. So the Cubs have every right to block it. Um, but this is something to definitely keep an eye on. Breslow is highly respected in, in MLB, and the Cubs pitching infrastructure has improved greatly under his watch. You just hate to lose guys like that. Yeah, he's been uh, instrumental. There's no doubt about that. I'm sure him and Tommy Hadovy work uh, really, uh, really well together. Right. And you've seen the amount of arms being developed, you know, even when you look at this year and you see Luke Little and you and you see what Javier Assad's done and you've seen what uh, Jordan Wicks has done. This is that's a big change from the last great Cubs team of the 2015 to 2020 era. Um, So we'll see what happens. I just wanted to point out on Sunday too, um, uh, levy workers began to, I heard began to strike. There was longer yeah. lines than usual at, and the Cubs were definitely short staffed. It was definitely noticeable at the game. All right. Well, I guess, uh, that's too bad. You know, they're making a lot of money. I, I have no idea what they pay these people, but, uh, obviously they're trying to uh, prove a point. A couple minutes ago, Crowley, we talked about, uh, the relievers and who you would trust. And I said, Brad Boxberger, no longer an option. Yep, he's on the 15-day IL, IL with the right forearm strain, the same injury that Edward Elzelay has and Michael Fulmer has. And so Brad Boxberger has just had an injury plague 23 season. It looks like it's all over. Keegan Thompson was recalled from AAA Iowa, but uh, we didn't see him at all this weekend. Uh, Heimer Candelario is going through full baseball activities, and it looks like he'll be activated for Tuesday night's game against Atlanta. Barring any setback, you never know what happens. Remember, we thought that uh, Stroman was going to come back, and then all of a sudden he was back. You know, he was further delayed. 
But, um, you know, you, they sh showed him on Saturday on marquee, uh, you know, outside and this and that. And Joe Girardi was talking about how that's a good sign that after a, after a baseball workout that he's not in the trainer and that, that he's outside kind of talking and throwing the ball around a little bit. So looks like we could see him, like I said, as early as Tuesday night's game. Adbert Elsley's thrown a couple of bullpen sessions, and the hope is he will be back for the last series of the season against Milwaukee. David Ross said Matt, Nick Magical will not return for the regular season, but did not rule him out if the Cubs do make the postseason. Nick Birdie and Brandon Hughes have been rehabbing in Iowa. They've been throwing in Iowa, but Iowa's season ended on Sunday, so we'll see what happens next. I mean, as these two as... guys, Crowley, have been like rehabbing all year, it seems like. <laughs> right? Yeah, Brandon, I mean, well, that's I mean, been a... Well, Brandon's was a reoccur reoccurring injury with that knee. So he's been up and down all year with that knee. Right. Um, and, and then we so, had like one Nick Birdie siding, right? At one yeah, point. Yeah, he had he had the appendicitis. And, you know, if they don't think those guys are, go you know, if they're struggling in Iowa, they're not going to bring them up to Chicago. If they can't be consistent in Iowa, that's not going to nope. happen. All right. Cubs Braves starts tomorrow night, Tuesday, down in Atlanta. Yes. The Big Bad Braves, best record in baseball at 156. First place in the NL East. The Cubs have faced Atlanta once this season at Wrigley Field uh, in early August, and they took the series, Dustin. Uh, they, they got beaten really bad, 8-0 in game ones, as Max Fried came off the IL and dominated the Cubs, while Kyle Hendricks gave up seven runs in the first inning. Kyle has an awful career record against Atlanta. We talked about it. And so when they do this lineup manipulation, they purposely moved him to Milwaukee so he would not be facing the Braves. So that also has to do with that Jordan Wicks and, and Stroman start is, is they were looking not only at uh, Wicks being able to throw against Colorado, who doesn't do good against lefties, but also to kind of make sure that, uh, that, that you have, um, you don't have Hendricks going up against Atlanta in game two, Javier started against Bryce Elder. The Cubs scored five runs off Elder in the first inning with Swanson and Candelario hitting solo home runs. The Cubs took the finale 6-4 to four with Justin Steele taking on Charlie Morton. Steele went 5.1 innings and gave up four runs. Only three of them are earned. But the Cubs scored two in the third and three in the fifth. Ian, Hans, Ian Happ and Dansby Swanson both had two RBIs in the win. So they took the series. But Atlanta, again, a very good team. They're coming back from Washington where they took three of four from the National. Uh, some good news and bad news about this series. The bad news is Atlanta has a 48-27 record at home. The Braves are also still playing for home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and the Dodgers are only four behind them, so they'll probably be playing most of their starters. They've already clinched, but they still want that home field for all the game, for all the postseason as far as the NL side of it. But the good news for the Cubs is that Spencer Strider, the Braves' Cy Young candidate, just pitched Sunday, so the Cubs will miss him. Their other top two starters, Max Fried and Charlie Morton, are both on the IL. They say that Freed will be back for the postseason. Charlie Morton is doubtful. So the Cubs are not having to face any of the three studs that Atlanta features. Well, there's nothing wrong about that. That's for sure. That's a break. I'll tell you that much. Now, when we get into the probables for this series, a game one is at 620. They got Justin Steele at 16 and five versus Bryce Elder, 12 and four with the 363 ERA. We've, we've talked about uh, Justin Steele. He has looked tired his last few times out, and he has been, after chasing that Cy Young all season long, he has really, really struggled as of late. He gave up six runs in his last start, um, you know, uh, in, against Pittsburgh. And then he gave up six runs in his start before that against Arizona. 
So the last time he's really pitched well was against Arizona on nine, nine. He went seven innings, gave up six hits, but one only er, only one earned run. Uh, so you're really looking to, for him to bounce back. Yeah, absolutely. Bounce back would be a nice, uh, nice spot there. This is, this is going to be a really gut wrenching couple of nights. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. He's up against Bryce Elder. Who's 12 and four with a 363 ERA. Um, the Cubs faced Bryce Elder once this season and he took the, the loss going 4.1 and giving up seven runs. Five of them are earned. He, and against his last start against Philly, he gave up four earned runs against Miami. The start before that four earned runs. And against Pittsburgh, he had his best start his three starts ago. Uh, he gave up only two earned runs. So he struggled the last time out. But those were against potential postseason teams in Philadelphia and Miami. So the Cubs are in that same conversation. They should be able to take care of business. When you see Elder, he's mainly a fastball slider guy. He induces a lot of ground balls. So they're going to have to keep that ball elevated. Yes. Yes, they will. Game two, you see Jamison Tyone, 8 and 10 with a 505 ERA versus the legendary TBD. Uh, as we talked about, they have a lot of injury issues right now. Uh, we don't know if they're going to go with a bull bullpen game or somebody that they just called up from AAA. We Hopefully. don't have it there. Uh, Jamison Tyone is 8 and 10 with a 505 ERA. Uh, good start against Colorado. Again, a lot of traffic, but six innings. Uh, but he gave up zero earned runs, but four hits and four walks. You got That's unusual for him to walk that many batters. Against Colorado, he went five innings, gave up seven hits, three earned runs. And against Arizona, he went six innings pitch. He gave up zero earned runs. Now, Dustin, here's what has me nervous about Tyone, is that Tyone has been doing really, really well at home and really, really bad on the road. He has a 156 ERA, six earned runs over 34 innings at home since July 23rd. The problem that you've been seeing with Tyone is every one of his starts on the road in that same time frame have not been good. So if you take a look at, uh, especially in September, uh, against Colorado, that was on the road, he gave up three earned runs. Against Cincinnati on the road, he gave up five earned runs. Against Detroit on the road, he gave up four earned runs. And against Toronto on the road, he gave up eight earned runs. So all of those are his last road starts. So he's got to be able to yep. figure it out. Yeah, those, that's, uh, those are good statistics to share with the class, if you will, uh, the home and road split. So, boy, um, it's got to be better. And I wouldn't think that uh, Tyone would get the ball uh, on the road in Milwaukee or in Philadelphia. That's for sure. We'll see what happens, but you got uh, the game three. Marcus Strobin also going up against TBD, ten and eight with the three eighty eight ERA. Um, you know, again, we've talked about Marcus coming back from injuries, his struggles against Colorado, three innings, three earned runs. That was his first start since July thirty first. So you know he has, uh, you know, prior to the injury when when you had the hip issues. You know, he's, he was struggling. He, he has completed fewer than 3.2 innings in his last four starts, 20 earned runs in 16 innings pitched. So hoping that, you know, that that was, you know, kind of the first game back. And I think that Tommy Hadovy had a good conversation with him when he struggled in the second and was able to look a lot better after that. But I, it's just going to be a little bit of rust. And he was talking about after the game, he wasn't in his routine yet that a starter normally goes through. So hoping that this time around it, it, uh, it works out a little bit better. Yeah, have to hope that's for sure. But uh, he's uh, he's a big game guy. He's he's going to want to do the best he can. So I, I mean, I appreciate the fact that he's back, and, and and I appreciate the fact that he was able to 
pitch and willing to pitch out of the bullpen and then, you know, make a start without his normal setup. So, well, well, as you said, we're going to have to wait and see what happens. That's why they play the games, Crowley. And talking about playing the game, Seiya Suzuki's been playing really well. He's at the top of the hot list. I can't believe who also is on the hot list. You're going to love it, aren't you? Eh? No, no. Seiya Suzuki, it. 10 for 23. He's got two home runs, that. five RBIs. Slashing 435, 500, and 783. But Dustin, right behind him, actually a little bit better batting lately, just not as is Miles Mastroblani. He is eight for his last 17. He's not a, a big home run RBI guy, but he gets on base. He sets the table. Um, he is slashing Dustin 471, 500, and 588. So he it's is unbelievable. Doing really I mean, good. the tip of the cap, he's, he's doing much better than I could have thought. Yes. Um, unfortunately, the knot has you again a little bit nervous to see Cody Bellinger back on there. Yeah, uh, he looked, he looked, he looked not right this weekend. Yeah, four for his last 21, one home run, four RBIs. Too many strikeouts. He he only had three strikeouts and four walks. Well, I guess they I guess they came games, at I guess they came at big moments then, those strikeouts. At least big you know, runners on base. I, I noticed that they were looking instead of swinging. I hate looking at strikeouts. It looks like the pitch is good for my seat on my couch. You should be able to see that it's good standing right there at home plate. Also, Christopher Morell on your list. Yeah, he's two for his last 19, but he does have that pop. Two home runs, two RBIs, right. but he's slashing 105, 227, 421. So it's all about when you get cousins. the two hits, Crowley, and what the two hits are. So, yeah. So we'll see what happens. But when you talk about Hotlanta, you want to talk about hot? Good Lord, this team is just absolutely, just to me, loaded. they're the best team they in just, baseball. They are just loaded. And the guys you got to look out for, I'm just going to put everybody, but Austin Riley's nine for his last 20 slash and 450, 500, 700. Orlando Arcia, shortstop, he's seven for his last 17 with five RBIs slash and 412, 450, uh, five, uh, he's uh, 921. I mean, you take a look at Ozzy Albies has been hot lately. 11 for his last 27 with a home run and six RBIs. Like literally when I'm looking at the average, Dustin, for the last seven day games against you know, the starters, I'm just looking at the starters, guys that have like over 15 at bats. You got Austin Riley at third, 450 in the last seven days. Orlando Arcia, 412. Ozzy Albies, 407. Nicky Lopez, our second baseman, 400. Ronald Acuna struggling at 333. Matt Olson, 333. Acuna's got a guy who's got some pop, man. Boy, that guy. He's he is like the the quietest superstar out there. Acuna has three home runs in the last seven games with three RBIs, so he's leading them. Olson's got one home run and four RBIs. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, he's batting three thirty three in the last seven games with one home run and eight RBIs. Kevin Pillar, their left fielder. You talk about hitting when you need to. He's the one that first starts making the cold list. He's at two thirty one, but he has far five RBIs in the last seven days. You don't have to worry too much about Eddie Rosario. He's two for his last 14, slashing 143, 143, 143. And Sean Murphy, I mean, I wonder if they're regretting that trade of William Contreras. He's two for his last 10, slashing 100, 254. Right, he's definitely be their one Achilles, right? That, that's it. Right, and it's just, it, it is an absolute stacked lineup top to bottom. It is not, that's where the bullpen wolves really get me nervous. Is yeah. thinking about is thinking about those guys. They are not going to swing at crap. They're not going to bail you out you're going to have to earn every single out you get against this Atlanta team. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. There's no doubt about that. All right, is it time to get some predictions, Crowley? I don't want the fans to be mad at me, but I got the Cubs winning one out of three. Yeah, I mean, one out of three is probably realistic, and I, I, I'm just going to say two out of three just on the chance that they're 
there, meaning the Braves don't have their top two guys. That that's a fact. And potentially it's going to be young guys. Maybe they're going to give guys a look, give guys an opportunity. The, the Braves don't need these games. They don't need them right now. So maybe, just maybe, uh, they'll give a guy off, a day off. They'll they'll play around with the lineup. They'll just do some things that are uncharacteristic of them. So that's what I'm hanging my hat on here. The Cubs need these games. They have to continue to play, approach these games like their playoff games. So I'm going to go two out of three. They're not going to get swept. I know the Cubs are not going to get swept. That I know for sure. You're probably right, one out of three, but I'm going to go two out of three. You're going big, and you know who else is going big? Elmo. Elmo. From the Sesame Street bobblehead flying the W. Take a look at this for the people on the YouTube channel. Oh, very cool. Little, little Sesame Street Elmo right here. Absolutely Elmo, love Elmo it. says Cubs win. Elmo Cubs, says fly the W. No. Fly the mm-hmm. W. He's got his flag ready. He's got his flag ready. All right, Crowley. That's a wrap. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Follow us on the socials. Fly the W on Facebook, Fly the W on Instagram. Of course, we're on Twitter. You can email us, flythew670gmail.com. And you can watch us on YouTube by subscribing to the 670 The Score YouTube channel. You know, I want to use those playoff tickets, Dustin. They're sitting in my phone. All you got to do is just take care of business, win series, and you go to the postseason. All you want to do right now is cheer for those Smokies and go Cubs. It's all over. 